Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Roll Scoop listeners, for tuning in for part of a series of interviews that gives us a chance to get to know our Arizona County School Rural Teachers of the Year, both this year and last year. So glad that you joined us for a brand new season, and I'm excited to not only have the opportunity to talk with these educators, but to also introduce my co-host for this series, Ty White. Ty, would you introduce yourself? Hello. I am a chemistry teacher from Wilcox High School. I am the 2022 NREA National Rural Teacher of the Year. And this year, I'm the AEF Arizona Teacher of the Year. And I'm so glad that you were willing to take this journey with me. And I know that you and I are going to have a great time uh, getting a chance to know and introduce these amazing educators to the state of Arizona. My goodness, I am so excited about this year. Well, today we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Colton. She is the 2223 Rural Teacher of the Year, and she is also the Yuma County Teacher of the Year. That's how she got selected as a representative for her county and was able to join us at the state level. So we're excited to have her with us. And I'm really looking forward, Liz, to learning more about your county, about your school and your students and the uh, opportunities for students in your part of the state. So Liz, are you ready to give us the scoop? Yes, let's do it. Well, first, before we get started with any of the questions that we have for you, uh, give us a little bit of information about you and your background. Okay. I have a master's in elementary education. I've spent about 17 years now, almost, teaching uh, science and STEM education. I've spent 14 years doing K through six science, and then three years of doing middle school school STEM education. I live here in Yuma, Arizona. I love it. It's a great rural community and I'm happy to share all kinds of information about it. So Liz, it's funny because when you talk to teachers, sometimes they can tell you that as a kid, they knew they were going to be a teacher. And for other people, it's kind of a, a, a longer process, let's say. How would you describe your journey towards becoming a teacher? Well, I would say I took an alternative path to becoming a teacher. I actually started out in parks and recreation and youth leadership, doing a lot of family planning and coordinating of family education, as well as family recreation programs. Um, one of my internships was in an education department at a museum called Thanksgiving Point, and I loved taking school groups on tours through the farm country area that they had, um, a dinosaur museum, and then outdoor gardens. I loved doing the activities with the kids, like the hands-on activities and talking to them all about the animals and dinosaurs, and we were doing, you know, just lots of great things. And so um, later on, the opportunity presented itself in Yuma to apply for a teaching job. So I did, I applied and the teaching position I started was a science teacher for a special area for kindergarten through sixth grade. They hired me because of my background in science and working on hands-on science activities, working at a museum. Um, and so then I went on to school to earn my master's degree in elementary education, where I've been, that's what I've been doing for the last 17 years. That's kind of interesting. You say K through six science. That's an area that really kind of gets neglected in in the research about science education. It does. So I think there's a lot of constraints that a lot of teachers have 
in the classroom, a lot of pressures and things. And so unfortunately, they don't always get the opportunity to teach science. It's not that they don't want to. My belief is, is that they just don't always feel like they have the time because they're spending lots of time working with English language learners. They're working on trying to develop those math skills and preparing them for more years later on. At the school I worked at, Valley Horizon Elementary at the time, they hired me to supplement that and to help fill in those gaps and those holes of getting science education into the classroom and getting our kids to be more curious and spending time discovering and learning about careers that are related to science. And so the best way we can do that is to get our hands in there, right? And get on task and get engaged in activities. Educators right now have a lot of choices about where they want to work, right? There are a lot of openings across the state. So um, why did you decide to stay in a rural setting? You know, that's a really good question. I guess when I think about it, I grew up in a rural area in Colorado, actually, um, in Black Forest. And I grew up going to rural schools. And I have a lot of fond memories of those opportunities growing up in a smaller community, those unique opportunities that a rural community has, those special little traditions and little festivals and fairs that we live for and we're excited about. And so I think lots of times we overlook the advantages of a small community and those unique opportunities. And we don't realize the benefits that we get from living in a rural area, such as like Yuma, it's small to where you can get to know people, but it's still big enough where you don't know everybody yet. I really like that closeness. I like that opportunity to have a different impact on kids that don't have the same resources or the same experiences that I have had. That's a good reason. You you mentioned earlier that you taught at Valley Horizon and now you teach at Crane Middle School. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how long you've been there. Um, This is my second consecutive year at Crane Middle School. So about 10 years ago, I was here at Crane Middle School and I was teaching um, seventh and eighth grade science for a little while. And then I went back to the elementary school and now I'm back again, making full loops. You know, I've always said teachers end up where they need to be. My mom Mm -hmm. taught middle school and I could never picture myself in that situation. Like, what is it that keeps bringing you back to Crane? Do you Is there a preference for age groups? Is there? Well, you know, I think what I like best about working at Crane Middle School is, well, I mean, there's a lot of things to be very honest. One thing is the very family friendly environment. I'm very lucky that I worked in the the elementary school that feeds into this middle school. So the kids that are coming up, I know them, like I've known them since kindergarten. And so I have that unique relationship to continue to work with them throughout their education. That last final touch up before I send them off to high school, where they're going to have a whole new world open up for them. And so it's really special for me, particularly to have those connections with the students that I already had in elementary. And now here I get them in middle school and we can have deeper discussions. We can talk about things. I like middle school because they're still open to a lot of things. They haven't made up their mind about everything just yet. They still get excited about the smallest and littlest activities because they still have that younger kid feel to them still, even though they, you know, if they could bring cupcakes to school, they would still, you know, so they still like that. And I'm just really lucky that at Crane, like it's very family oriented. And so not just with the students of knowing them and their families, because I've taught in Yuma for so long, you know, just working here amongst the staff, a really unique, special opportunity. When you work in a rural school, you become more reliant. You have really good communication and collaboration with one another because they become like a second family to you. 
And, you know, I could look anywhere up and down my hallway and know that I could count on any one of these teachers to help me if I needed something. We have amazing administrators, Mr. Tyree, who is just the most amazing administrator who is so supportive, but wants what's best for the students. I just really appreciate the vision that they have here. And so I feel like because of the vision that this school has, my goals and my personal growth will only continue because I'm able to develop and work towards my untapped potential. I feel like I'm thriving in this environment because it's the right place at the right time for me in my life. There are a lot of really positive things that are happening in rural education in your area, but we we know that there are challenges too. Those create potentially some barriers and frankly, some opportunities for doing things differently. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you have encountered as a rural teacher and how have you handled those or changed the narrative on those things that, that are considered challenges for you? You're right. There is a lot of different obstacles or challenges, opportunities, right, that um, we can definitely encounter. I think one of the things that I first remember when I first started teaching, I was so excited, you know, as that newer teacher, like we're going to do field trips and we're going to do this and that. Well, it's really hard in a rural area to go on field trips that are long distance. So we're about three hours from Phoenix metro area. In order for us to go out of town, we have to actually rent a charter bus to come to us from Phoenix. So we're paying for a charter bus to come three hours down to us, load all our kids up, then go three hours back to Phoenix area and then go back and then pay for the bus to go back to Phoenix. And so it gets quite costly. It makes it really challenging and difficult because we would like to offer kids these opportunities that other kids have an opportunity to be a part of them, you know, to go to the Arizona Science Center or to go to different events. But you know what? There's other ways around it. So thank goodness for technology. We can bring in guest speakers from all over, really the world. And then you start to rely on your own community. And I mm -hmm. think that's one thing I've really learned is I live in one of the best counties ever. I love, you know, they will rally around their kids and their education and the teachers, and they really do want to help everybody. And that love is felt definitely in our schools when we have so many great community partners through, you know, the ABEC program or community share there's just lots of opportunities to make those connections. And I think that's what, as we help our students grow, we're helping them realize though too, that we want them to go out and experience great things in the world, but also we need them to come back to our communities and support that growth in leadership and innovation that we're looking for. And so I think, you know, you work your way around things, you invite people in, you take small groups, you know, you offer kids incentives if they are going out during spring break, hey, try to stop by and go see this on your way if they are traveling. Um, you could take those digital field trips and we try to utilize and leverage technology to make our experiences better. I honestly feel like because we are in a rural place, we've had unique opportunities that other kids wouldn't have. So like we have Yuma Marine Corps base that is here and we also have Yuma Proving Grounds. And because of that, they draw in different people to do different things. For example, NASA comes here to do testing for space capsules that return back to Earth. And so in a really cool community where everyone knows a 
little bit of everyone, then they start introducing you to different people when people come into town regularly. And so I've been able to make connections with an amazing engineer from NASA. So when she comes into town, she comes over to my school and talks to the kids and tells them her story about how she immigrated to the US and how she worked really hard to go to MIT and how they can too. And there's no reason why language should be a barrier. So she's able to make those connections with the kids. And then because she loves these kids so much, like she brought over the engineers that she was working with. So like they were from Boeing and other companies and they all came over and they raced our kids on our RC car track. And they just spent the day, turned out to be a really nice um, experience for our kids. So the kids came with their families. The engineers got to talk to the kids and mentor them, but they also got to have some friendly competition. And believe me, those engineers are very competitive. And so we had some great races, we ate food, and it was just this great outdoor community opportunity for kids to learn and have an experience other kids wouldn't have if they were living in a big city because you don't always hear about those things and you can't always have those special unique opportunities. I think there's those moments when you make regular connections with your community. They're there to support you and help you all along the way and they want our kids to be successful. They're vested in our community. They're, you know, the, they're those main stakeholders. I agree. And, you know, the thing about community asset mapping, knowing what's in your area that you can tap into and, and bring them into the school and have them uh, support the learning of the students. That's fantastic. So I'm glad that you've taken advantage of that in your rural area. That's a great story, too, to say that this friend you made from NASA, right? But beyond that, that she so resembles your students mm -hmm. because it really helps out for the kids to be able to see themselves mm -hmm. in a role model like that. Good point. I think you're exactly right. You know, she talks about how she went to a Title I school in Texas in a rural community and how she grew up learning English and things. And for her to make those connections with these kids here in Yuma is so special that she takes out her time. I mean, she doesn't live here. She flies in from Houston every so often. And when she comes into town, you know, she usually has something to bring by. She'll bring by the NASA meatball stickers or, you know, some swag, or she'll just come by and say, oh, let's drive cars for a half hour after school. You you know, an amazing example of people who care about our kids. One of the things we always say is that in rural communities, teachers wear a lot of extra hats. <laughs> and that's not to say that teachers don't do that everywhere you find them. But um, I was wondering if you could share some of those extra roles and duties and programs you get to sponsor. Right now, I do the career tech exploration at our school, and sometimes that goes after school as well. Um, as we explore different careers in automotive, we do the RC car racing after school sometimes. I also work with First Lego League Robotics, so I help plan and manage the local tournament here in town. It's not paid or it doesn't have anything to do with my school district. It's just something that I'm passionate about and that I love. Along with that comes like a lot of mentoring of other coaches, other teachers, teams, new teams, sponsoring new teams, helping them find funding for robots. And because of my work with that, with some of my students, we actually started a nonprofit called Youth Innovators Project Incorporated. And so we seek out different groups and students who are looking to get into robotic. And so we sponsor them their first year. Um, we go and mentor them. We stop in and talk to them before the tournament, bring them swag. Uh, we talk about coding and strategies and things like that. And so um, that's been really special being able to do that independently from everything else. 
And then, of course, you know, helping with like our county science fair and spelling bees and Eagle Scout projects that are, you know, ongoing in your community, helping, you know, with the local church. And so we do stuff with that. And then just, you know, being ready and willing to help out when your community needs it. Yeah, you know, you just kind of get your hand in a little bit of everything (laughs) as you work as an educator in your community. There's a lot of work (laughs) with very few hands. So yeah, we all have to wear them, those multiple hats. So I was talking to Ty when we were getting ready for this podcast, and I used the term rural advantage. What does that expression, the rural advantage mean to you? I think that you get to know the families, you know, and you get to see, you get to see the benefits of your influence among kids because you, because teaching here so long, I'm able to see my kids all grow up and they're going, you know, they're in college or graduating different things. I mean, I run into students all over town. It doesn't matter where you go. You know, I can walk into Sam's club and I'll see one of my former students at the optical center and she'll be like, don't worry, I'm still going to school. <laughs> She already knows like what I'm going to ask her before we even start having a conversation. And because I always ask, oh, are you going to school or what are you doing with your life? Tell me about it. And so they'll tell me what's going on. And I think that rule advantage is that you get to be a part of building a legacy. Ultimately, you're future community leaders. Um, you're being able to look at problems down the road and say, gosh, are we going to have the right kids, the right people taking lead? And if you're a part of that, gosh, what an amazing opportunity. And wait till they start having kids and then the (laughs) students, children come and now you're their teacher. So, or, and then eventually grandparents and whatnot. (laughs) It is a unique opportunity in a rural community that's presented to us. You do. You start to see that full loop go all the way through if you're there. Dr. Sadorf, I'm just going to say, I think we're going to cure the rural teacher shortage today. (laughs) That would be great if we could. (laughs) Liz, I've had a version of this question asked several times this year, and I don't think it's a fair question, but I'm going to ask you anyways. What would be your proudest moment as a teacher? Or what was that aha moment that really made you feel like, yeah, this is where it's at? You know, I'm very lucky. I have a great story of definitely my aha. This is why I do what I do. You know, as a science teacher, you're always hoping that your kids are that innovator, those engineers, right? That they're creating something new. And, you know, we're always pushing and pushing. I was able to work with a group of students during summer school of all places. And we did community superhero camp. And so we brought in different community superheroes from our community to talk to our kids. And so our kids interviewed them. And so one of the people that they talked to was a helicopter pilot who worked for law enforcement and they asked him what kind of challenges or can you tell us about what kind of things you face in your job so he talked about how he was out on search and rescue and he was looking for a man and his two sons and he found them they were on top of a very rough rocky terrain so around Yuma we have mountains and and so it was July and it was really hot and the man had five-year-old and a seven-year-old with him it's July so we're looking at like 115 during the day and he didn't have any water. He'd run out of supplies and for whatever reason, he couldn't get down off the mountain. And so they found him, thank goodness. But the helicopter pilot looking at everything knew it was going to take search and rescue several hours to get up the ravine, to get up to the top of the mountain to where this man was. And he could see that they were really in need. And so he started throwing water bottles out of his helicopter. And as they're flying out, they're hitting rocks and cactuses and imploding on impact. You know, he couldn't land anywhere. He couldn't hand it to the man. And he was getting very frustrated because he wanted to help this man and these boys who were stuck. 
you know, they did get rescued and everything turned out fine. But for that moment, he was very frustrated. As his job, he's supposed to search and rescue and he could search, but there wasn't a lot of rescuing that he could do at the time. So my students, you know, thought about that a lot. It actually stayed with them during the summer because it impacted them so much. And in the fall, First Lego League released a theme of uh, hydrodynamics of how do people deliver water? What do they do with water quality? And so my students, you know, they started researching different ideas. And then one of the kids said, hey, do you remember that helicopter pilot? And how he told us he couldn't get water to those people. And they're like, yeah, what if we do something like that? And so this all-girl Hispanic team um, at a Title I school, fifth and sixth graders, decided to start working on that project. And so, you know, they started with shoe boxes and other things. And they were standing on chairs and throwing it and seeing what would happen with water bottles in it, right? And then it got a little better and their prototype got a little better. And before we knew it, we were asking the custodian to crawl up on the roof of our school and to throw these boxes off the roof of the school to see if the water bottles would survive. And they were working. We were really lucky. We started reaching out to a lot of people. And um, we actually happened to find a community member who owned their own private airport at Somerton Airport. And this great, great, great family who owned this airport offered to test our boxes for us. And so we got to go over to the local airport. We put all our technology out and we were trying to take all these measurements and we loaded this plane with all of our aqua boxes that were made. And then um, he took off and he would fly around. And as he flew around, he would drop these boxes on the dirt runway. And we would watch it hit the ground and then we would go and the girls would scatter, grab it, and then they would start counting it. Okay, how many water bottles survived? How many didn't? What's happening? You know, um, what's the impact? And they were figuring out the velocity and everything else. So we went through that several times. Thankfully, you know, that pilot was willing to really support these girls and their mission. Um, before we knew it, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And our community just started stepping in more and more because they heard about these girls and their mission of a life is a life we need to save everybody. It was just an amazing opportunity. So we went to a regional tournament. They won for their best innovation. They went to state. They won for best innovation at the state level. And the whole time our community was just cheering and they were putting out money and they were donating supplies and anything that they could do to really help these kids get to where they were going. You know, we won. And so we're like, okay, now what? Well, we got invited to apply for the global innovation. And so these little fifth and sixth grade girls, they gave up their spring break to come and spend a week at the public library with me to write up their write-up. And we turned we sent it in. And out of 200 applicants, they qualified in the top 20 worldwide. We ended up getting a provisional patent. They ended up going to the Global Innovation Awards in uh, San Jose, California. And our community was amazing. Everyone helped fundraise left and right, trying to raise money for these girls to go to the Global Innovation Awards competition. And they did. They raised all the money so that the kids could fly. They paid for shipping costs to ship their project, you know, to California. It was just amazing. And to be there and to go through all that with these kids. And I still mentor these girls. They're in high school now. They are my why. Every day I get up and I go to work and I'm looking for the next kid who wants to make a difference, who wants to make that positive impact in our world, because it can start right here in our rural schools. So Liz, you were talking earlier about challenges. I asked you about those kinds of things that become 
uh, obstacles in a rural community. Um, What right now is an obstacle or a challenge that your district is currently facing? Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles we're facing is retention. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of great new teachers who are excited to teach. They're not necessarily rooted here in Yuma quite yet. So I feel like we invest a lot of time, a lot of mentoring and efforts in, and they get about two, three, sometimes four years of experience, and then they move on to another um, district outside of our community. Mm -hmm. For what those reasons are, I mean, they vary. I think that's one of our biggest problems is that we don't have teachers who are staying long term to make that impact, to build those connections, those relationships in the community. And so, you know, once we have them just about ready, like they're in the groove and the flow and they're like at that, oh, man, you are just thriving as a teacher. Then they leave us. (laughs) Yeah. So what's the district doing to try to solve that problem? For one thing, we're definitely trying to do a lot more um, outreach to make them feel part of the community. So definitely having a lot more opportunities, not just as a school, but as a district of trying to get our teachers involved in the community. Like here's this local event or here's this festival you should go to. Um, We're trying to help them find reasonable housing, you know, supporting them in buying a house. Like they, some of them get homesick and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So people will watch their pets while they're gone. Or um, we've got some businesses who say, oh, you know what? You can just pay us partial rent during the summer because we know you're going back home to visit your family, wherever they may be. So there's a lot of different efforts that we're trying. I don't know if we have all the solutions yet. It would probably take a lot more surveying of those teachers to see why they're not all staying. I mean, some of it, I don't think you can prevent. We're we're near a military base. So that's another mm. issue too. So some good solutions there that maybe other rural leaders can consider for their rural community. You know, one of the things that I'm excited about doing this project with Dr. Sadorf this year is we're trying to really raise teacher voice and amplify your thoughts and your ideas. And so you've got a platform right now, Liz. What would you do to encourage future educators People who are thinking about teaching, people who are thinking about moving rural to teach, or maybe people retiring into kids. How would you encourage people to consider teaching in a rural school? You know, teaching in a rural school is one of the best decisions I ever made. I'm offered jobs outside of Yuma, and I don't take them because I love being in this community. And when you're connected to a community that is supportive, and loves their educators and the students, when you know that you can make that positive impact, it's huge to me. I mean, the rewards outweigh anything of what you could say is a con to being in a rural community. You know, I mean, I'll take it back to those girls and that difference it made of designing this aqua box that was delivering water bottles. So, okay, they solved a problem here on a community level, but it went global. And they have that opportunity, these students, to, you know, make an impact on a global level if we have the right educators here supporting them, giving them those opportunities. And when you are working with other like-minded educators, you're going to make those lasting connections and impacts and friendships. And you only get that in in a small rural community. So Liz, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about you or your rural school community? 
I believe every student can create and innovate with the right opportunities and with the right people in their lives. I believe that if we want a different future, a better future, then we have to stand up right now and seize these moments in education and support our kids. If we want what's best for our future, then we need to all come together as a whole and put our investment in our future with education. When we do those things, I am confident that we are going to have a better and stronger communities that we are all going to be a part of. I think that's my biggest thing is that when we have those same goals and visions, then we're able to accomplish a lot. Well, Liz, thank you for talking with us today. I learned a lot about you and your community, and I'm excited to uh, to yeah. see what happens next with, with you and your school. Thank you. I'm excited too. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. You can check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Sadorf so you never miss a new release. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.